if the role of the department is to look after the emotional and the spiritual and the intellectual and psychological health, then I think the department has failed hopelessly to fulfill its mandate to look after the health of the nation in a much broader sense. Welcome to The Commute. And if you're literally commuting right now, welcome to your commute. I'm Jessica Van Anselen, and I'm what one might call someone who's interested in the arts. I love theater and dance, fine and experimental art, poetry and music. I love writers and writing. I love films and television. I love audiobooks and podcasts. I'd even include journalism as a sort of appendage of art in some way. I just love the whole shebang. And I used to love literature and novels until I did a master's degree in English literature, from which I'm still recovering, but that's taking some time. I was lucky enough to do my undergraduate degree in drama at the Witt School of Arts in Johannesburg, and there I got a superb arts education and a sensibility which has never left me. So in short, the arts are a big deal to me, as they are to much of my community, as they say. I'm sure a lot of South Africans feel the same way. We only need to look at Andile Ndlovu, who was handpicked for the highly competitive Washington Ballet Corps in D.C., or Dada Masilu, who's touring Los Angeles and Moscow with her acclaimed dance piece Giselle, or Black Coffee and Nakane Ture blowing up the international club scene, or Trevor Noah, or Charlize Theron, or William Kentridge, the list goes on. There's clearly a ton of artistic talent in this country, and there would probably be a whole ton more if we could make half an effort to find it and nurture it. So it's interesting to me that in South Africa, I rarely, if ever, hear the artistic community, regardless of race or discipline, speaking about the Department of Arts and Culture, what it's doing, how innovative it is, new initiatives it's set up, how they opened up this intriguing new space or launched this clever new project. The Department of Arts and Culture just does not feature. And everyone seems to accept this as normal, basically, or at least unavoidable. What is the problem? Why is this such a chronically uninspiring ministry? Well, firstly, perhaps a good place to start is the leadership. There have been five ministers in charge of the arts, including when the department used to be the Department of Arts, Culture, Science and Technology. This sterling array of dynamic, artistic and focused individuals have included Paolo Jordan, who it turns out had lied for years that he had a PhD when in fact he did not. An inspiring example. Ben Ngubane, who has recently been involved in not one but two parliamentary inquiries for A, protecting and advancing Claudi Motsening while he was chair at the SABC, and B, for protecting and advancing Brian Malefe and the Guptas while he was the chair at ESCOM. And Ben Ngubani is currently under investigation for fraud for Malefe's mysterious and unlawful 30 million rand pension payout, even though he never actually resigned from ESCOM. Sterling dude. Next up, Lulu Tsingwana, who during her time as minister left an arts exhibition at Constitutional Hill in a huff because it included a series of photos of lesbian couples and she considered the arts, quote, immoral, offensive and going against nation building, end quote. Top ministerial quality. And then lately, we've just had the two ministers who've really just had the job to keep them gainfully employed. Paul Mashatila held the position while waiting for Zuma to be... Um, deselected by the ANC, and Natiem Tetwa while he waits for this whole little Marikana thing to blow over. So what is the actual point of the Ministry of Arts and Culture then? Wouldn't it just be simpler if we deleted it and installed a chatbot instead, who simply said, there is no one here to answer your email? I spoke to the acclaimed playwright and activist Mike Van Kran, 
who has followed arts and arts policy in South Africa closely over many decades. His CV is too long and too full of accomplishments to cover it all here, but here's a short summary. To date, he's written 30 plays with When Swallows Cry, the satirical review State Fracture, and a commission for the Center for Excellence in Food Security, Another One's Bread, being among the most recent. He is to be the 2018 recipient of the Sweden-based Hiroshima Foundation for Peace and Culture Award in recognition of his contribution to the fight against apartheid, to building a post-apartheid society, and to the study of the interface between peace and culture both here in South Africa and across the African continent. He also completed an amazing fellowship in Berlin last year, which is where some of this conversation between he and I got started in a Singaporean restaurant. And he's shortly to be conferred with an honorary doctorate from the University of Pretoria. I got Mike on the line. Mike van Gran, welcome to The Commute. Hey, thank you very much for having me. What is your understanding of what the mandate is for the Department of Arts and Culture? What should they be doing in a perfect world? Well, in a perfect world, I guess they should be doing what they what they themselves say, which is, I'll read it for you, vote purpose, to contribute to sustainable economic development and enhance job creation by preserving, protecting and developing South African arts, culture and heritage to sustain a socially cohesive and democratic nation. So that's kind of what their vision is. But um, not talking to truth to power, celebrating artistic expression, nurturing a generation of intellectuals and artists. That's, that's not... Absolutely not. That's not part of their mandate. Look, um, quite the contrary, in fact, you know. And, and I think it's interesting that this is listed as their vision because the starting point is so fundamentally different to what the starting point of the white paper that we as the arts community lobbied quite vociferously for in 1994-95 and which was adopted at that particular time, fundamentally different to the current white paper which is in the process of being reviewed and the purpose of the Arts and Culture Department as defined now. Because what has happened over the last number of years is that as the triple challenges within the country of poverty and unemployment and inequality have become like the main um, things for government to address, it's been kind of pressurized on upon each department to deliver on their mandate in terms of how they're going to address those three things. So it's not surprising that the department uses as its starting point to contribute to sustainable economic development and enhance job creation by preserving, developing South African arts, culture and heritage. The vision in 1994 was kind of quite different. It started with a vision for arts and culture. You know, it was a case of using Article 27 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that said everyone to have the right free to participate in the cultural life of the community and to enjoy the arts. And the ANC's kind of freedom charter that says the doors of learning and culture shall be open. So very different starting points to the one that is now the key mandate of the department. So that also leads to the question of we we have a trend where perhaps the ANC hasn't put in the most energetic or sterling leaders. Ben Gavani certainly went on to perhaps become the most notorious, but Lulu Tlingwana, we've got Paolo Jordan, we've got Natiem Tetwa, and then, as you say, a vision which is perhaps more around job creation than, than some of the other critical functions that the arts play. Why do you think the Department of Arts and Culture has been so 
neglected at best and just really marginalized in a significant way at worst? Well, I think mainly for two reasons. The one is that politicians don't actually get the relationship between culture in the broader sense of the word, as in ideas and value systems and belief systems and worldviews and traditions and these kinds of things that really inform people's behavior and, you know, they're making meaning of their lives, their sense of belonging to communities, their own identities and the like, and how this kind of impacts on their relationship to other people, their relationship to concepts such as democracy, their relationship to human rights and the like. So that's on the one hand, arts and culture are kind of dismissed as as luxuries, as the kinds of things that people with disposable income kind of getting engaged in. You know, there are other priorities that the country needs to be concerned about, economic growth and education and health and those kinds of things, physical aspects of human beings in a way. Whereas, you know, arts and culture for me really have to do with the emotional side, with the spiritual side, with the intellectual side, with all of those kinds of things, which are part of our being human. Um, and I just don't think that politicians get it. So that's the one thing. I think that secondly, quite often the Department of Arts and Culture is left to those politicians that need to be accommodated um, because of political, someone is owed a political favor, someone is strategically important, but they are not important enough to handle one of the most important ministries, as it were, or they don't have the skills for that or whatever. And so they're allocated to arts and culture, which is a place where they can, you know, um, do no harm, as it were, but in so doing, not do very much as well. It seems a great shame because it seems to deepen this disconnect between the spectacular talent that we clearly have in South Africa and the channels and mechanisms that are available to those who are talented to fully realize their potential in that regard. Well, I mean, I think that that's kind of one of the key um, challenges within our sector, because there is no doubt that this country has got phenomenal talent in a whole range of different areas. We just do not, and, and there are even resources. There are resources within this country as well, within the department's budget, within the library, within the private sector sponsorship. There just is not the vision nor the political will to utilize that talent and translate it into realizing the incredible potential that, that we have. And I often use kind of like a metaphor for the rest of our continent in a way that, you know, we are not short of wealth on this continent. We've got incredible mineral wealth. What we do not have are the kind of mechanisms to beneficiate those raw materials into real income streams. And so they get taken elsewhere and beneficiated elsewhere and we get sold it back at much higher prices and other people are making money. And in some ways, it's like that with a lot of talent on our continent because many African countries don't really understand or support the arts and there's little infrastructure to help artists to create and produce and distribute their work, many artists kind of migrate, you know, to other parts of the world and those countries kind of benefit from that talent. And I think it's, we don't have that problem on the same scale here because there is infrastructure and there are means to distribute and there is access to some resources to be able to create and distribute, but not on the scale that if we really had the vision, this place would be amazing in terms of arts and culture. I mean, right now, as we are talking, Houting Opera is under threat of closing down. 
the dance umbrella that has been going for about 30 years, the key platform in promoting contemporary dance in this country is about to close down as well. They've just announced that this was the last one um, after 30 years because there's just no funding. And yet there is funding. There's 4.37 billion rand in the Department of Arts and Culture's budget for this year. So let's just stop there. I mean, that's. I just want to pause on that for our listeners. So this is where this conversation between you and I began. You were pointing out that the Department of Arts and Culture's 2018-2019 budget is 4.37 billion rand, which is four times what the department, the budget for sport and recreation has. And, and I was one of those people who just assumed that arts and culture was struggling, that we weren't adequately investing in these resources. But you were saying that this is definitely not true. Well, you know, if the government website is to be believed, I'm a Lucy Gigaba and his vote, you know, um, his budget vote, um, then, and, and this is not peculiar to this year. This has been the case all along the while. I mean, at the beginning, when the department was first set up and science and technology was part of it, they kind of had pretty similar budgets of about 280 million rand each, and that was 1994. 284 million rand. Now, 23 years later, the Department of Arts and Culture is a completely separate entity, and its budget alone is 4.37 billion rand. So multiple times the amount of money available in 1994. Phenomenal growth in the budget for arts and culture. So I think that one of the problems, and this is why I'm delighted that you're doing this podcast, is that we within the arts and culture sector, we don't do the research. We don't do the reading. We talk, you know, out of our thumbs, as it were. And we don't do sufficient analysis and advocacy work around that which actually pertains within our sector. And we kind of have a general sense of being on the periphery, of not being treated too seriously, some of which is kind of true. But with regard to funding, that is simply not the case. And if we were better informed, maybe we would take better action and engage in better advocacy kind of campaigns to make sure that the money that is available is spent much more catalytically and that has much better outcomes than is currently the case. So if we've got some listeners to this podcast who are artists or aspiring artists or academics or researchers or just citizens who are interested, do you have a sense of where that budget is currently going? I mean, what does one do with 4.3 billion rand every year? How the money is kind of split up is that about 300 million goes to administration of the department. Right? 300 so million rand goes to administration of the Department of Arts and Culture? That's right. So that's, But that's only about 6.8% of the budget. But yeah, 300 million. So that's to pay the minister and the deputy minister, to pay all the senior officials, to pay for officers, to pay the flights, to pay, um, you know, all of those kinds of things. Then they've got an amount of 416 million rand that goes to what they call institutional government governance. And it covers things like social cohesion and, you know, those kinds of nebulous um, kinds of things. And then there's arts and culture promotion and development, which money that goes to the National Arts Council, money that goes to the National Film and Video Foundation, um, money that goes to the, the five publicly subsidized theaters, which between them get in excess of about 200 million rand a year at the moment. Um, so that's Artscape and the State Theater and Pakovs and the like. They, between them, get about 200 million rand. And then the vast majority of the department's budget 
about 56%, or 2.47 billion, goes to heritage, to monuments, to museums, um, to the Heritage Council and the like. So that's generally how the budget is allocated. And, you know, since 1994, obviously you've got these huge conglomerations of museums that have been created, the Jitsong Museums in Pretoria and then the Ezekiel Museums down here in Cape Town. Amalgamation of 12 to 15 museums in each of those. But then you've also had the creation of a whole bunch of new um, heritage entities, so like Freedom Park, that initially cost about $2.5 billion just to create, if not more. And now, as an annual operating budget, subsidized by the department of in excess of 80, 80 million rand a year. You've got Robben Island Museum that is now the responsibility of, of the Department of Arts and Culture. You've got the Mandela Museum, the Lutuli Museum, and so on. So all these new things that have come into being in order to tell the new stories, to document and archive the victors, as it were, of you know post-1994 kind of dispensation. These are areas in which our money is spent. So the Department of Arts and Culture's budget of 4.37, I think about 80% of that, they really transfer that goes through the, through the department towards existing institutions for them either to use or to allocate, as in the case of the Arts Council. I might be sort of using business nomenclature here, but I mean, the return on investment seems to me as an arts lover fairly poor. Do you think that's just a perception? Is that unfair? Well, I mean, I suppose it's an interesting thing in terms of how one measures return. How does one measure ROI in this particular case? Because what is kind of interesting about the Department of Arts and Culture, given the mandate that I spoke about earlier, um, it is beginning to see its um, ROI very much in those kinds of terms as well. And I'm just not sure that they necessarily have the vision or the or the wherewithal to be able to do anything more than what is currently the case. So there's this whole emphasis on the creative and cultural industries, the kind of idea being that the more you contribute towards economic growth, the more you will have the resources to be able to drive human and social development. Now, that all sounds nice and true, but that simply is not necessarily the case in other parts of the continent, and it's not simply the case in our country as well. In other parts of the continent, as you know, we've had incredible economic growth in many countries um, over the last 10 to 15 years. Some of the fastest growing economies have been African economies, largely because of China's demand for the mineral resources that our continent has. And yet, despite that growth, there hasn't necessarily been social and human development with poverty kind of increasing in many of those countries, with the gap between rich and poor kind of increasing as well. And you know, that's not too dissimilar to our situation where in 1998, our government adopted the Creative and Cultural Industries Growth Strategy, SIGS as it was called, again to contribute towards economic growth. And they concentrated on film, on craft, contemporary music, and literature publishing. And yet since that time, in the last, what, 20 years, um, despite there being quite a sophisticated, relative to other African countries, emphasis on the creative and cultural industries and a lot of investment in those, what has also happened over the last while is that poverty has actually increased. There are more poor people in our country now than there were in 1998. There are more people who are unemployed than in 1998. You know, the gap between rich and poor is greater now than was the case then. 
So there's no truth necessarily between in, in the in investing in arts and culture and creative industries as drivers of economic growth and addressing these key challenges that the department has now set up for itself or as it is obliged to do by the rest of government. I'm just not sure which metrics should be used to measure return on investment. You know, is it um, is it about economic growth? Is it about how much more socially cohesive our society is? Is it about a reduction in violence? Is it about um, how much more, how much happier people are? <laughs> so um, I just, and I think that that kind of relates to one of the earlier questions that that you asked. What is it that this department is required to do? And how then do we measure what the department is required to do? If its primary task is, as they say, contribute to economic development and enhance job creation, then, you know, if you use the metrics for, well, has that actually occurred, then I'm not sure that that's the case. Now, if one uses economic growth and the contribution of the creative and cultural industries to the economy in order to drive job creation, eliminate inequality, um, and, and, you know, have people to be less poor, then I don't think that the Department of Arts and Culture has played a significant role in that regard at all. But I think if the role of the department is to look after the emotional and the spiritual and the intellectual and psychological health of our nation, then I think on that score, just given the level of violence within our society and the breakdown of relationships between people, not just across racial lines, but also within communities, then I think the department has failed hopelessly to fulfill its mandate to look after the health of the nation in a much broader sense. I mean, I have a lot of friends who are artists. Um, you and I speak about this a bit. What can we do to, to try and get a more healthy and functional art sector? And I've been thinking about this off the back of the tremendous engagement of the media, civil society and ordinary citizens around some of the stuff that was happening around SARS and the Treasury in the final months of the Zuma government. Uh, and if we could just take one-tenth of that sort of energy and focus and engagement and apply that to the art sector, things might be different. But what are some of the practical steps we could do to make a difference? The only way in which things will, will really change, both for the art sector and through the art sector, is if the art sector itself was really organised and if it had vision and leadership to be able to you know, encourage and inspire people towards making some kind of contribution. But I think that what has happened over the last 20, 23 years or so is that the arts sector has been completely disempowered and we've allowed ourselves to be disempowered. In fact, we have disempowered ourselves. There are no credible organizations that exist at the moment that represent the arts and culture sector, other than maybe the South African Guild of Actors whose role it is to look after actors in particular. Every other organization that has come into being has failed to deliver on its mandate, no longer exists, might comprise two or three people and an internet kind of cable, and that's it. You know, the Department of Arts and Culture itself tried to create a federation in a top-down way, the Creative and Cultural Industries Federation of South Africa, SIFSA, and they basically set up a committee gave these folk five million rand and said, set up a national federation to represent the sector and to make sure that we have someone to talk to as the Department of Arts and Culture. And of course, 
that simply became a conduit for some individuals to have access to the public purse. And when eventually the launch of this supposed body happened, two days were spent wrangling and voting and eliminating the people who had been in power in the past and replacing them with new people so that these new people could access the trough of public funding. And so there is simply no leadership. The arts and culture sector is completely divided along discipline lines, along racial lines, along geographical lines. You've got the Afrikaans um, arts and culture sector, incredibly sophisticated, well-supported. When was it? 2015. The figures show that in that particular year, for example, 550,000 books, South African books, were sold, 450,000 of which were Afrikaans books, which means that if you're a black or white writer in English, you have the chance of maybe selling about 600 to 1,000 books in your lifetime of a particular novel. Whereas in the Afrikaans sector, with the Afrikaans festivals, the Afrikaans music, the Afrikaans radio stations, television stations and the like, there's incredible commitment to promoting, preserving, celebrating their language, their culture, doesn't matter you know, how they are located on the political spectrum. And obviously, as a result of the past, it's a community that is also well-resourced and has access to disposable income to be able to be sophisticated and well-developed markets for that kind of art. That is simply not the case in communities that have been historically disadvantaged and which to this day, despite there being so much funding for the arts, um, it's a community that has not benefited sufficiently from broader kind of economic development within society for them to have access to resources to be able to become significant players and markets for the arts in this country. So I think, you know, that's that's one of the key problems that we suffer from a real lack of leadership in the arts and culture sector. We suffer from um, organization and absence of organization, and we suffer from incredible division. Um, and unfortunately, unless those things change, um, it's just going to continue. People have also become, in a post-apartheid paradigm and situation, um, very reluctant to engage in political activities. When I was for a while engaged with the anti-corruption campaigns and um, other campaigns to, you know, highlight these things through the arts, and I was called upon by social movements with which I was engaged to help to bring the arts community to be part of it. And it was a struggle <laughs> to get people to come and take part in a march, to get people to be part of a meeting and see how we can creatively contribute to these campaigns. Incredible reluctance. And I suppose I'm at a point now just personally where, you know, I just don't have the energy or time or, or inclination to do that anymore. So for our listeners who are listening to this, maybe maybe something we could all do is try and put together some sort of collective organization in the spirit of Business Leadership South Africa or Kasatu or something similar and get proper funding for that and try and bring the arts community a little closer together, break down those racial divisions, discipline divisions, as you say, and try and motivate for a slightly more coherent and unified voice on these issues. 
Mike, um, my last question, which I ask all of my guests, is um, if our listeners want to learn a little bit more about this um, or look more deeply into this issue, are there any books or websites or resources or events that you would suggest that they Google and go and find out a bit more about? <laughs> what a good question. Um, look, I don't think that there is very much that I'm aware of that is in the kind of general public space at the moment in terms of dealing with these kinds of issues. Um, Which is killing in and of itself, I suppose. That, that's a huge need. I mean, there the, the are a whole bunch of students doing their master's at WITS at the moment in arts administration. And there's a real lack of publications, a real lack of resources around these things. So what tends to happen is that sometimes the lecturers literally download some of the stuff that I and one or two others might be writing, and that becomes, you know, the the stuff that people are reading and talking about or stimulating conversations about. Um, and I think that that's, that points to the paucity of this kind of theoretical discussion within within our sector. There was a time when you had quite sophisticated and um, deeply deep-thinking arts journalists who worked for the Mail and Guardian, for the Sunday Independent and the like, that's just all about disappeared. There are no publications any longer in which you can find contemporary discourse and debate um, and just information about what is happening. And that's that's kind of rather unfortunate. And I think it's, yeah, that's probably one of the other contributing factors to um, the lack of informed action on the part of the arts and culture sector. So there's another thing that could be done. Right. So listeners, in Mike's case, we don't have a specific recommendation of something to go and read because you need to go and write it. So at the end of this, please <laughs> go and write policy papers and journal articles and blog articles into the departments of arts and culture. On that note, uh, that brings the podcast to an end. Mike, thank you so much for your time. It's been great. Thank you very much for having me. And I hope something comes out of it. <laughs> Ciao, Jess. Thanks for listening. The next episode of The Commute is about China. China. No, it is not just about Donald Trump's trade war. There is a South Africa-China perspective. So if you want a quick explainer about South Africa's relationship with China, about its new leader, Xi Jinping, and about the One Belt, One Road trade initiative, listen to episode five of The Commute. You can get all of the episodes at www.thecommute.co.za and you can email me on thecommutesa at gmail.com.